The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting to everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Father, we do declare that you are mightier than the storms of this earth, the storms of our lives. You are mightier than anything we will ever face. For you alone are God, and you reign on high, and you are seated upon your majestic throne, and from that throne, you rule the earth. All is under your sovereignty. All is under your hand. And we gladly submit to your sovereignty today. We joyfully surrender to your will today. So now, Father, we ask that you would release your spirit in power in this place changing hearts, sharpening minds, opening eyes and ears and hearts to receive your living word. And may we be changed by it. And in this new year, God, we desire to be new creatures, new worshipers, with wholehearted, undivided affection, attention, and devotion to you. But God, we know that in our flesh we cannot. And so we need you. We are dependent upon you for that grace to be able to love you more this year. And Father, I ask for your grace and your spirit to fill me, anoint me, empower me, and preach through me today. Give me the honor of being used by you to bring glory to your name through the proclamation of your sacred word to faithfully declare your truth and your gospel to your people. So let all that happens today be done to the glory of your name. So at this time, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing and honorable in your sights, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And it is in that precious name we pray. Dr. Elisha Goldstein worked with many dying patients throughout her medical career, uh, and she was often at the deathbed of many people before they passed away. And a lot of these patients, knowing that they were in their final moments and final days, uh, shared with her uh, the regrets that they had throughout their life journey. And these were some of the top regrets that they wrestled with that I want to share with you, and hopefully we can learn from their regrets and gain wisdom in the end. Uh, some of the top regrets were this. Number one, one was, I wish I had the courage to be who God created me to be. And I found that interesting. Uh, to not constantly try to meet other people's expectations of my life. Basically, they were saying, I wish 
I would have lived my life that God intended for me to live because far too many people, they live for the applause of other people. They live for the approval of other people. And so they live their lives almost as if they're trying to keep one eye on other people uh, to make sure that they're happy for how they are living. And so it's an important lesson that we need to learn from them, to live the life that God has called us to live. Another top regret was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard, meaning I wish I didn't put work above relationships within my life. Another top regret was, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings because too many people do not express their love to those that they love. Are there people that you love? Then tell them. Do you want to turn to somebody next? No, okay. Good. You know, I wish, uh, another top regret was, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. And so once again, we see relationships being a primary source of regrets within their life journey, wishing that they could have invested within people uh, along the way. So they're saying, I wish I'd used my time for the more important things in life rather than just the urgent things that demand our attention. Why is this so important for us to understand? It is because the most valuable resource that you have is your time, more than money. You could always make more money, but you cannot make more time. And what I want to guide us through today and what I want to teach us today through the Word is what we can do to utilize the greatest use of our time. And another thing that I like to do at the beginning of each year is also to highlight and to remind ourselves of some of the key spiritual disciplines uh, to have as goals and desires for our lives to be conformed into so that we might invest into the greatest relationship of all, and that is with God. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 38 to 42. As we look at a familiar passage today to learn a foundational truth, especially concerning our use of time. Follow along with me in your outline as well that I provided for you. And we want to discover the greatest use of time. So what is the greatest use of time? Well, it's connected with the first point, and that is to grow and develop in the discipline of showing up. So everyone repeat, the discipline of showing up. Now, you might be like, hey, I showed up today, Eddie, right? Is that, is that what I'm talking about? No, let's explore what this showing up means. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 and following, it says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a town, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So this story begins with a lot of good things mentioned in a short amount of time. So Jesus enters a village, and Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. Now, this is a beautiful display of the gift of hospitality that many people have as well. There is a great ministry available within the church for those with the gift of hospitality. Because the church is not supposed to be like a family, the Bible teaches us that the church is a family. So when the people 
who are gifted at making others feel at home use this gift within the church, everyone benefits because everyone is blessed with a taste of what the church was really supposed to be like. And so we all know people who are gifted with this type of hospitality. They make you feel like family, and they make you feel like uh, they've known you for many years, even if you just met them. I know a couple of people who are strongly gifted with this. Uh, Paul and Robin Pennington, they are the founders and directors of Hope for Orphans, as we've been in a good relationship with that ministry for a number of years now. They are extremely gifted with this type of hospitality and love towards the people that they encounter. They make me feel so loved and so welcome and so much a part of their home whenever I meet them. You know, I've been to different conferences with this group, uh, with this organization, and uh, what's interesting is Paul and Robin Pennington, they have adopted two Korean sons, boys, and a Korean daughter. And so a lot of times at these conferences, we're talking together, and uh, Paul will introduce his son, his son, his daughter, and also as... He'll introduce me as the other Korean son that they adopted, you know, and uh, most people actually believe it because when you just look at us, you wouldn't be able to tell. Uh, And that is uh, a lot of warmth that their heart exudes to people that they encounter within their lives. Uh, They embrace you with love, and we see this beautiful picture of how Martha's heart really is in the right place, at least in this moment of wanting to embrace the disciples and Jesus within her home. So we see a beautiful side of Martha beginning here. And then we're introduced to Mary. Let's look at verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, sitting at the Lord's feet to listen is actually, this is a position of a student, a disciple, or a learner. And so if, uh, back in that day, time period when uh, you were going to be discipled by someone, uh, you would choose them, they would choose you, and they, you would follow them and you'd sit at their feet in order to learn from them. And this is the vital first step of the greatest use of time, and that is to simply show up at the feet of Jesus. But many times, that first step of showing up is the hardest step for many people. You know, I often teach uh, the fight of prayer to my students, that we need to learn uh, a lot of times that prayer is warfare. Uh, Prayer is a time to rest our souls, but also prayer is a time to wrestle because there's so much spiritual warfare involved that our flesh does not want to submit to the Spirit of God. And so there is a struggle that we experience many times in the place of prayer. And so to grow in prayer, uh, I teach the fight of prayer. What I mean by that is uh, that we need to learn to fight to get on our knees, just to show up, again, the discipline of showing up. And we need to fight to stay on our knees, because a lot of times once we show up, we want to leave right away, right? We start praying, we feel like we prayed for like 20 minutes, and it was like one minute, right? Those encounters are times that we need to learn how to fight to stay on our knees, so that we will ultimately learn how to fight on our knees. And so that's the fight of prayer that I often teach. Uh, Because so many times, the discipline of showing up is the hardest step for us to take. It is so hard for some of us to show up before God in prayer that we will find anything and everything else to do except to pray. Some of you would 
rather clean your room than to pray, even though you never clean your room, right? And that shows how much warfare is involved in the place of prayer. And so, with the beginning of this new year, again, want to bring in some disciplines and highlight them and shine a different light on them for us to hopefully learn the spiritual perspective on the beauty of these disciplines. And one of the ways to see it is through this lens of seeing it as a discipline of simply showing up at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes in this battle for prayer, in this battle to be in the presence of God, we have some surprise enemies. One surprise enemy that will often be a distraction or a deterrence or a detour to our prayer lives is the surprise elements of sleep, okay? You didn't expect that, right? Uh, Now, we've all tried this very unsuccessfully. We're like, all right, you know, it's the end of the day, you're tired, you need to spend some time in prayer, but you're like, oh man, it's so cold these days. I'll just get in my nice warm bed and I will pray lying And you get up, you're like, oh, I wonder how long I prayed. I must have prayed all night, right? No. (laughs) Did you ever notice, especially like uh, if you grew up in the church setting, going to retreats like in junior high and high school years, did you ever think it was, I I found this fascinating that, you know, during the evening worship sessions, during the praise, you're okay, but then during the sermon, you start to get really tired. And then during the prayer time, you're like, oh, this is really tired. And then the closing praise, you're kind of there. And then right when it finishes and they bring out the instant noodles and lamb, you're like, bing, you're wide awake again. <laughs> Did you ever know? Isn't that fascinating? You know, I, I, was, I was thinking about that one time. I was like, is that spiritual? It's like, is that, is, is that biblical? Is there something in the Bible, you know, that we could learn from? So I kind of have this theory, okay? Uh, that I'll expound a little bit with a biblical example before you think I'm going, getting uh, kind of weird here. Um, the closest biblical example that I could think of that would match this type of tactic that the enemy uses in terms of sleep to deter prayer would be uh, Jesus praying uh, with his disciples right before he gets arrested. Right Now think about it. This is one of the most intense if not the most intense day of spiritual warfare in human history, Jesus about to go to the cross and he is spending time in prayer so much that his sweat, he is dripping uh, drops of blood, Scripture tells us. That there's so much warfare. He says, God, he's wrestling with his will to surrender to the Father, saying, God, if it be your will, remove this cup of suffering from me. But he says, but not my will, let yours be done. And what does he do? He brings his closest disciples. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. Right? So say, hey, wake up. I need you guys. This is intense warfare, intense prayer time. I need your prayers. And then he goes back and he's praying again. And the disciples fall asleep again. Very strange. And one of the things that I have a theory about in light of personal experience And in light of these examples that we find during our retreat days or even in this biblical passage of Jesus and his disciples, I have this theory that the enemy will sometimes use sleep to deter prayer. That times when prayers are needed most, oftentimes our spirit is willing, but 
the flesh is weak. And I think that is one tactic that the enemy uses very successfully to decrease prayers, especially when they are needed most. Because I was thinking about it, that during those times in worship context, when the word is declared, that is the time when there's so much warfare happening for hearts to be able to receive the truth. And that time is needed to be covered with prayer. Times when we respond to the word that was planted in our hearts so that the enemy does not steal it, the times of prayer after the word is preached within retreat context, within worship setting context, those are times when prayers need to be prayed. But so many times our flesh is weak. And instead of engaging in the place of prayer and intercession, we give in to the place of comforts of the flesh and of sleep. And that is why the discipline of showing up at the feet of Jesus to release our burdens, to receive our assignments, and to engage in spiritual battle has so many distractions for us. Showing up at the feet of Jesus is one of the greatest uses of time, which is why he invites us to come. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Like Mary, to sit at his feet as a student awaiting our teacher's instructions. Here I am, Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. That is where we need to learn to begin our days, developing the discipline of showing up. Amen? It's a hard one, but it is a necessary one. But that's not all. Tied to that, the greatest use of our time also includes the discipline of stillness. So everyone repeat, the discipline of stillness. All right, so we need the discipline of showing up to receive our assignments, to sit at his feet, fight to get on your knees, to show up. But also, we need the discipline of stillness before him. And now we see what Martha is most famous for within this passage. Let's look at verse 40 of Luke chapter 10. But Martha was distracted with much, what? Serving. Now, that's interesting. She was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. That's pretty bold, right? She, something's up, all right? She is not in the best mood right now. Now, in this one verse... This one verse reveals so much of the dangers of busyness. Even being busy while serving the Lord. It begins by her saying, Martha was distracted with much serving. Wow, even serving the Lord can be a distraction if we are not focused on the Lord. So again, we learn the fight of prayer. We learn to fight to get on our knees, the discipline of showing up, but that's not enough. We also need to fight to stay on our knees, the discipline of stillness, until the flesh that does not want to submit to God in prayer, until we learn to surrender that desire at the foot of the cross to be still before the Lord. 
Until that feeling that you have inside that when you're praying, you're like, you don't want to f- pray, you're distracted, you're thinking about so many other things. You showed up, yes. You did the discipline of showing up, yes. You are there before him, but you are not truly there in your heart yet because your heart is distracted. It is not still before the Lord yet. You see, for some of us, we show up, but we are still too distracted because our hearts are restless. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. You see, if you are never still before God, you will forget who truly is God and you will think that you are God. Be still and know that I am God. A busy heart thinks that I am God because I am the one who must be in control at all times. I like what Kevin DeYoung says. He says, busyness does not mean you are a faithful or fruitful fruitful Christian. Amen? It only means that you are busy, just like everybody else. Look at verse verse uh, 40 again. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care about me? Jesus, don't you care about me? Look at all the stuff I'm doing for you. Dangerous place to be. This shows us the danger of busyness for the soul. The danger of not being still before the Lord. What is that danger? There are many dangers. But some of the top dangers we see in Martha's heart coming out of our heart right now, we lose our joy of serving. And then we doubt God's love for us. She was in the presence of Jesus. She had the honor of serving Jesus. But too much busyness in her heart She lost focus, lost joy, and doubted God's love for her. Don't you care that I'm a slave for you? This is the same heart that resided in the older brother of the prodigal son. Father, all these years I've slaved over you while this son of yours wastes all your money. It's about the hearts before the Lord. Martha's service distracted her from Jesus. She loses joy in serving him. Says, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? You see, there is only a mess when our service comes before stillness. You see, it is in our stillness before God that we remember who is God and who we really are. That He is mighty, that He is love, and we are His, and we are His beloved. You see, we doubt God's love for us when we are not grounded in that love first. Our hearts must be still and grounded in God's truth for us. Then there is joy and strength to serve. You see, our service to Jesus must 
overflow from a love, not just of Jesus, a love from Jesus. Otherwise, we will think we are slaves when God has called us sons and daughters. That is why hurry will harm the soul, because a holy life is an unhurried life. Hurry increases worry because only a still heart before God can truly be at peace. Just as only still waters can reflect images clearly, only a still heart can see and reflect the image of Christ clearly. Where is Martha's focus? On herself. Don't you care that my, my sister let me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. The focus is on herself, on her service, on her goodness, on her busyness, on her aloneness in her service and devotion, on her sacrifice. When we are not still before God, we become off-centered and centered around ourselves. We lose focus on the Savior, and we lose joy as a result. You know, I really believe that's why Satan will do all that he can to keep us too busy to be still before him, because he knows that there is great power in his presence. There is great gain in his presence. There is only gain in the presence of the Lord. Peace grows stronger. Purpose gets clearer, and power is released. So Satan loves to turn stillness into chaos. He loves to turn a heart of stillness into busyness to create worry and anxiety. You see, Satan is the king of chaos. He is the king of death. He is the king of restlessness. He is the king of busyness. But you know what? Jesus is the king of all kings. And he is the prince of peace. Christ is the one who turns chaos into peace as the Prince of Peace. And as a result, there is always peace in His presence for His people. Amen? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. That is our soul in the presence of God, and we need this to survive. The discipline of showing up is crucial, but that is not the only thing that we need. After we show up, we also need to learn the discipline of stillness before Him. This is crucial because there is a strong spirit of busyness in this country, a strong one, and I need to fight it. I need to be aware of it and fight it Otherwise, because I'm naturally prone to be a workaholic, this country is a workaholic's dream country. <laughs> On top of that, if you want to be a pastor in this country and a pastor in the church, dream come true if you're a workaholic, right? <laughs> Never-ending work, and they will gladly have you stay in the office till 3 a.m. No problem, right? But that's not how God created us to be. Amen? As my wife shouts the loudest amen there. Yeah. 
And so we need to understand these areas of discipline for the soul. And a third area to grow in for this year uh, to utilize our time well is the discipline of selection. So everyone repeat, the discipline of selection. Luke 10, 41 and 42, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So you could hear the tenderness in the voice of Jesus. Martha, Martha. You see the further fruits of busyness here as well. He says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. So our anxieties, our fears, worries, stress, they are a byproduct of this busy heart that we have. And it says, but one thing is necessary, verse 42, Mary has chosen the good portion. So it is about choosing Christ above anything or anyone else, the discipline of selection. You know, we'll often say, I don't have time for that. I'm too busy to pray. I don't have enough time for my devotions. But in reality, we always make time for the things that we think are really important for us. We do this all the time, every day. Now, for example, when you wake up late for an appointment in the morning and you, have, you only have 10 minutes, all right, to get ready, what do you make time for? That will show you your priorities. And that shows how everybody has different priorities. Some of us, showering is not a high priority when crunch time comes. I know this to be true, okay? I'm not going to mention any names. Other people, eating something, even if it's one snack or a fruit or a banana, whatever, that's a priority. Hey, you got to eat. Most important meal of the day. Even though 10 minutes, big deal. Because you don't want to see me if I'm hungry, right? Other people, coffee is your lifeline. Don't talk to me. I didn't have my coffee yet. Okay. Lifeline or idol? Okay, anyway. And I've met people, 10 minutes to go, brushing their teeth is not a priority. I had a roommate in college like that. I had to suffer because he woke up late a lot. Hi. <laughs> Bye. You know? It is the discipline of selection. We choose what is valuable within a short amount of time. We choose what is most important to us all the time. But busyness is one of the greatest enemies of holiness because hurry harms the soul. You see, the enemy loves to keep you busy in order to keep you from the greater blessings. Because one of the greatest blessings of all time for all of our lives is an intimate encounter with God. So the enemy loves to keep us busy in order to make sure that, yes, we're preoccupied by good things. Going to work is a good thing. Going to school is a good thing. All these good things. He loves to keep us busy with good things in order to keep the greatest blessings away. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I busy or am I blessed today? Because far too many people cannot have both. 
You are either busy or you are blessed by God. And I intentionally worded it like this, as if they're contrasts of each other. Because too many people in this country and in this culture and in our generation, too many people boast about being busy as if that was a good thing. Busyness is not a blessing. Nor is it something to brag about. You know, I've been so convicted by this for the past several months as God's been really speaking into my life and my heart about this. Um, and I realized that we almost brag about it. I'm so busy. Oh, I'm crazy. You're busy. I'm busy. Very strange thing to boast about. When in reality, the language is really, man, I am, so, I've got so much, I am so lazy. That's reality, right? That's what really. I had so much time, but I spent it all on Facebook, and so now I'm time crunching. I'm so busy right now. That's the reality. Or another one would be this. Man, I'm so, I'm so important. So many people want my time and attention. How important are you? Probably not as important as I am. Right? I'm so busy. We all like to brag about busyness when in reality, it's a cover-up for our laziness and lack of time management or it is a cover-up of our insecurities because we want people to think that we're important. But what we lose sight of in the midst of this busy vocabulary is you're actually revealing something far worse, and that is, I am too busy for the more important things of my soul. You know, I know of one pastor who bragged to people that he's been so busy that he hadn't had dinner with his family in about a month. And when I heard that, my first response was, you don't boast about that, you repent of that. You see, instead of thinking of crazy busy as a good thing, we need to start seeing it as you're crazy if you're busy because you're giving up too much for too little. Oftentimes, if we say that we're too busy, it is revealing that we do not have enough time for things when in reality, it's also revealing I am not giving priority to the things that deeply matter to my soul. So I don't, like, I don't say that anymore. When people, Eddie, you must be so busy. I actually say to me, no, I'm not. They're like, really? Are you just, did you just lie to me? Yeah. But I intentionally do that. I'm trying to create more boundaries and create more distinct, disciplined areas for my heart and soul to be properly centered each day. One thing is necessary, Jesus says. Mary has chosen the good portion. So we must learn to choose the discipline of selection, the best over the good, over the better. We must choose the best and Jesus is the best. 
It is a choice we must make each day to show up, to be still, to choose Jesus. Now, this is a very strange thing that he says in, at the end of verse 42. Look at verse 42 again. It says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I was like, what? Why does he say that her choice will not be taken away? I mean, she chose already. What are you talking about? It won't be taken away. How is choice connected to keeping something so that it's not taken away? It's when the choice comes with something, especially a blessing. Let me explain. For example, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago for, you know, our staff for OEM, we often will have a Christmas lunch and a mini party, and we'll have like a very small uh, gift exchange, very inexpensive gift exchange. And so, and what we also like to do is this thing called white elephant. And if you don't know, it's like when you pick numbers, and if you are later down in the number scheme, uh, you get to either pick a gift that was opened already and steal it from them, or you open an unwrapped gift. And last year, the most popular gift, I think, was like this Amazon $20 gift certificate or something like that, because all the pastors, we buy ebooks, And so we're like, oh, we all coveted that one, right? And so we all fought for that. And by God's sovereignty, I picked last. And so I was able to, thank you, as they fought, fought, fought. Thank you, right? Um, now, uh, it was my turn. I picked it, I chose it, and I got to keep it. So my choice came with something. And so did Mary's choice. It came with blessings of deeper intimacy with Jesus. And so Jesus is saying this, the blessings that are coming to Mary for choosing to be with me, those blessings will not be taken away from her because she chose wisely. You see, there is only gain when you rest your heart in the presence of God through prayer and encountering His Word. Why? Because time with God is the greatest use of time. Always. Amen. Time with God, encountering His grace, hearing His voice, understanding the privilege and access we have through prayer, being able to encounter the living God through His living Word. Time with God is always the greatest use of time. Always. So when you are debating, banana? Time with God is always the best choice. That is the discipline of selection, and that is the good choice that Jesus is commending Mary for. And for Joshua as well, in Joshua 24, 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we choose to serve the Lord. I'm so busy. We need to learn to get rid of that in our vocabulary, but more than our vocabulary, we need to learn how to remove that from our hearts. So, very practical application. A few uh, very specific and uh, practical ways to apply this message for our lives in this new year. Number one, Read through the Bible. Now, we, I provided for you this uh, Bible reading plan in your handouts as well. It's by uh, Discipleship Journal. I've been doing this since I was in uh, college. 
And so for many years, I followed the Discipleship Journal reading plan. And the reason why I love the Discipleship Journal reading, Bible reading plan more than any other one in the whole world is because only this plan, every month, you have five days of grace. They, in their wisdom, know that when you cram every passage into every single day of the year, you fall behind and you get left behind, right? And so I love these five days of grace every month, not just January, every month that you have to catch up. Or if you're really disciplined and you stay on top of it, those extra days give you time to get ahead. And that always feels good, right? So uh, that's one thing uh, that I'd love for you. Now, some people are like, Eddie, is that legal list? You know what? We have bad habits, good habits. This is about developing a good habit. And developing a great habit of seeking to read through the Bible is a great goal to have. Also, connected to that, if you're like, Eddie, it's so hard to read then God gifted you with something else this month. And you know, if you go to christianaudio.com, they give a free audiobook per month. This month, it is the whole Bible ESV translation free download just for the month of January. So go to christianaudio.com, and when you get to the book of Numbers and Second Chronicles, and you're like, man, these names are hard, listen as you read. You know, it's, it helps. Trust me, Right? So that's another way to really get the Word into your life. So that's very practical application number one. Practical application number two, learn to show up and be still in the place of prayer. Learn the fight of prayer if you need to, again, to fight to get on your knees, to stay on your knees, then you can learn to fight on your knees. And for some of you, you're like, it's hard to be motivated, you know, after you hear a message like this, I want to pray, but then once, you know, February 1st comes, it gets a bit harder. Another thing that really inspires me to pray is reading books on prayer. For example, like E.M. Bounds, uh, his complete works on prayer recently was on Kindle for $2.99. It might still be on sale. Uh, but I love to read, either, even sometimes just a sentence of his writings on prayer draws me to my knees in prayer. And so find ways to show up and be still before the Lord in prayer. And number three, choose okay, to join us for our OEM night of prayer on Wednesdays. I know some of you might be difficult, but if you are able to, I encourage you guys to come out. We've changed our format for our Wednesday night services so that we will have more times for prayer. And we ask that you would help us increase our prayers for our church. I want to be a place of prayer. I want to be a church of prayer. I want, to, I want us to be a deeply intimate people of prayer because what does God call his church? A house of prayer. And I want us to grow in prayer. Amen? You know, in an interview with Billy Graham, he was asked if there's anything he regretted. And uh, after being used by God to reach more people with the gospel than anyone else in human history... I was very curious as to what he would say. He said, I wish I had spent more time in prayer and in the study of his word. And that motivated me to understand at the end of our lives, instead of having regret, I want us to reflect now, how can we live wisely? Because our lives are all a sum of the choices that we make each day. And with this new year, may we make wise choices with the filter of this truth before us at all times. That time with God is always the best use of time. Amen. Let's pray. Can we come before the Lord right now in prayer and ask for the grace to enter his presence daily?
ask for an increase of desire for his word, that in this new year we might also be new worshipers who love him more than we did before. So can we spend a moment in prayer right now and ask the Lord for that grace to desire him more, to desire his word more, to be a people of prayer. Can we do that together? Let's pray together.